what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello and welcome to Stepping Up Service. Uh, I am Alan Jackson and with me, as has been the last couple of episodes as well, is Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing? Doing great, Alan. How are you doing today? Doing fine. Good, Good. to see you here. Ed, uh, with Customer Service Solutions, uh, you can find out more about Ed uh, at the website. What is that website there, Ed? It's cssamerica.com, so Customer Service Solutions America, in effect. Great. And, uh, you know, Ed's, Ed's knee deep in the world of customer service. And, and, and as we've been talking about the last couple episodes, we, want, we like to dig into different aspects of customer service as the show goes along. And I'm really excited about the topic we're talking about today because I think it's going to be one that might catch a few people off guard. Um, we are talking about customer service in the pro sports profession, professional sports. Uh, many people may think, well, there's no need for customer service. Customer service is not a big aspect in the professional sports field. And we're here to tell you that that's not true. So let me start off with a story. And this, I think, is a good story that helps illustrate what we're talking about. And Ed, this is actually from your blog just recently uh, that uh, that you wrote up about. And I, I, I took the story and want to kind of convey it to the listeners here to get us started. So the Super Bowl, and it was this past uh, January Super Bowl, I assume, the yes. one from early this year, uh, where was, the, the game was being held in Cowboy Stadium, mm-hmm. big brand new facility, $1.2 billion facility there. So the game's being held. Of course, tickets are selling left and right, you know, leading up to it. And they had a goal, I guess, at the stadium of they wanted to be able to sell X number of seats in that stadium exactly. uh, to, to, to meet their goal of, of sales. To do so, they had to count on there being some temporary seats that were going to be added by the time the game came around, about 1,200 seats. Uh, so they went ahead and sold those, Sure. even though I guess it came close to the time of the game and those seats are not going to be available for some building limitations or whatever it may be. Kind of beside the point, the point is they oversold tickets to the game and they sold seats that, that they didn't really have. So... Half of those people, a little more than half, they were able to take care of. They got them put in other places. And they took care. But there were about 400 people that honestly did not really have a seat going into the Super Bowl or, or close to the time there. In the typical world of what we know from businesses, and if this were to happen, you know, I'm thinking other industries where tickets get oversold, you, know, you, you just refund the money. Okay, well, sorry, we, we actually could not get your ticket for you. Here's the money uh, back uh, from that. But that's not what happened here, is it? Uh, Ed, why don't you tell them what happened in this particular situation? Sure. And just to kind of expand on your mm-hmm. point, 1,250 seats sold. Uh, they were put in there with the assumption that they were going to pass code and the uh, local government would come in and approve, and they didn't pass code. So on the day of the football game, you had 1,250 people there expecting to be sitting. They were watching the game, raving fans of the Packers, mm-hmm. raving fans of the Steelers, and now they're raving lunatics. They are ticked <laughs> off. And 850 of them, they did get relocated, but the other 400 of them, basically, they were told, I'm sorry, we don't have a seat for you. And they did get a triple refund initially, but okay. they were upset. I mean, imagine that, that you're a lifelong Packer fan. Yeah. It's been 15 yar- years since you've been there. You're you know, carrying your terrible towel and you're a Steelers fan and you can't watch the game while you're there. Well, keep in mind, too, some people may hear that and say, wow, they got triple refunded for their tickets. That's great. But more than likely, that's triple refunded on face value. And these guys may have been buy- buying them for a lot higher ticket price 
for, through other venues. So you have no idea how much they really have already invested in this, this ticket itself. Exactly. Yeah. Plus the time, plus the travel, plus mm-hmm. the hotels, plus the flights, whatever the case might be. So uh, they, they were ticked off. They were upset. And, and the, the NFL tried to remedy it with the refunds. They tried to give away free Super Bowl tickets in the future. Um, they, they even uh, tried to go through all these processes to avoid what eventually happened, which was a lot of the ticket holders ended up suing the NFL. Okay. So this is a situation where to get in a few extra seats, 1,250, maybe 1% of the bowl down there in Texas, uh, they, they tried to sell seats and they weren't certain that the seats would be ready. They weren't certain yeah. that the seats w- would be approved. They just kind of hoped that they would be. And if you think about all the the goodwill that was lost, you think about the damage to the brand, about mm-hmm. how uh, the impression about the, the NFL and Cowboy Stadium was driven down and down and down about this perception that they were more concerned with bringing in the extra dollar than really giving a great experience for the fans. Uh, it, it really hurt the organization tremendously. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so what happened in the end? I mean, uh, that, uh, did they do anything to rectify the situation? Did they were able to, to fix it for any of them? Well, beyond giving the refunds and beyond offering tickets for the new year, I mean, the, the new Super Bowl, those were the main things that they did. And now they're trying to deal with issues with lawsuits and, and other sorts of legal matters to try to resolve it. So it's one of those cases where they did go above and beyond on service recovery on the back end. But if they'd have done it right on the front end, they wouldn't have had to have dealt with all these issues that they're dealing with at this point. Right. Sure. So they made their they, they they did their best to make the concessions, but it's still the same problem that any organization really can face in customer service is over promise but able to under deliver for any reason or uh, not providing the kind of service or the end product that you said you would. What do you deal with? So the pro sports field has got this exact same issue. Um, you know, it's not just a matter of what players are out on the field and now on the court doing their job. I mean, that's the aspect of the game, obviously the the, the industry. But there's that whole customer service element around it, I sure. guess, that people don't always realize is there. Yeah, exactly, until it bites them, like it did right. here. Okay. You know, Just like with any other industry, uh, there are businesses out there who think it's all about the product, and they don't care about the, the how they communicate with the customer. They don't care necessarily about thinking strategically about how the reality of delivering this service is going to impact the customer's perception. They don't think about, well, should we bring the customer in ahead of time to make sure this is how it's going to work or their stakeholders? In this case, local municipalities bringing them in ahead of time to make sure they were going to design the structure of these seats where mm-hmm. they would be safe enough for the fans to sit in those seats. So right. it's the same thing with any business. Just like you have a marketing strategy, you have a sales strategy, you need to have a customer service strategy. Just like you're trying to to, to listen to the voice of your, your customer when you're trying to design your sales strategies, you need to listen to the voice of your customer when you're thinking about how can we best serve the customers. And in the end, you, you could try to get that extra 1% of sales, just like with any other other business. But you got to think about, well, if we don't do it right, what's going to be the negative impact on the brand? What's going to be the negative impact on our organization for the long term if we don't do it right from the start? Yeah. Now, going back to the Super Bowl example, I mean, I was, I'll admit, as far as what they tried to do to help those individuals that didn't get their original seed, I, I was pretty impressed with the links they went to to try to get them happy. Yes. Although I agree with you, it is it's a process problem. I mean, it, the, the, it should have been the problem didn't happen in the first place. Exactly. But at least if there is a problem, we realize companies are going to have problems. They're going to have operational issues, sometimes unexpected, sometimes something you just could not foresee. So what do you do in those situations? It sounds like at least on paper from what I see that they did, 
they did about everything they could to try to make these guys happy. And, sure. and, and I mean, what they let them go out on the field, I think, uh, before the game or mm-hmm. something like that, they got them helmets, they got a, a good place to watch the game. So they definitely tried to make up for it the best they could, but you know, it doesn't fix the problem that there was a problem they had to contend with in the first place. Right. And in this story, there's a lot of, a lot of ugly, a lot of bad, but there's a lot of good as well. Lessons mm-hmm. learned from a service recovery standpoint, because there have been studies that have shown that if, if you have a customer with an issue and you resolve that issue and you resolve it quickly, typically you have about an 82% chance of repurchase that they're going to come back to you Again, if you resolve the issue, but it takes a while, mm-hmm. 54% chance of repurchase. If you don't really resolve the issue, you're aware of it, you don't resolve it 29%. Sure. So at least they realize the issue, at least they try to resolve it, at least they try to do it quickly. And they did it pretty aggressively with some of the offers that they made. So from a service recovery standpoint, they did great. Their issue was the upfront. Mm-hmm. That's where the concern was. Let's talk for a minute about the, the typical customers in a professional sports environment. Sure. I would assume a little different uh, expectations, maybe a little different desires, needs from a customer service standpoint. Am I right in saying that? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And when you think about what the product is, uh, you know, if you, if you go into a, a target, you go into a retail setting, your product is the pretzels or it's the, the toy or the electronics. When you go into pro sports, you know, to some extent, the product is the game. To some extent, the product is the players. And we've worked with a lot of different teams in pro sports. In particular, we started in 2003. We were brought in by the NBA League office to actually train the season ticket services divisions and departments uh, within the NBA teams on how do you create a system, a strategy, an infrastructure, a methodology for systematically retaining and growing with your existing season ticket holder base. And it was interesting because when we started talking about the season ticket holders, uh, we weren't just talking about people who just wanted to enjoy the game on the court. I mean, granted, there's a lot of backup basketball fans, but th- there were some teams, and, and this is pretty much pervasive in, in certain pockets throughout the entire NBA, where if you're a fan, you think, okay, I pay for my 41 games a year for my two and a half seats per game. That means that uh, I, I can go and at any point just kind of go on the court and meet with the players. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's LeBron, you know, I haven't seen him all year. We yeah. hadn't chatted. Hey, LeBron, catch up. how you doing? Yeah. You know, let, let me go talk. <laughs> well, is that Kobe? Kobe, I haven't seen him in ages. Kobe, why don't you come up here, sit down with me? And it was, it was this idea that, you know, here are these guys are on the court. They're 50 feet away from me and paying all this money. So access is huge. So there, okay. there's definitely certain unique characteristics to what a, a – a pro uh, sports fan, a season ticket holder wants versus those of us who are going in, they're buying the commodity, they're going to the retail shop. I mean, to, to some extent, it's about the entertainment, it's about the venue, but it's also about a lot of that access, which is actually very difficult to get in, in a lot of the major sports. So I know we discussed the Super Bowl example and obviously the overselling of tickets, seats that weren't really uh, quite ready yet. Uh, you know, that's obviously a huge issue, especially at the Super Bowl biggest event you can you can imagine that people save up for for a really long time uh big 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 event and a big discouragement if those don't work out beyond that though let's take just typical regular season for any sport what are some typical customer service issues that you normally hear about or read about or, or get told about that this kind of industry falls trapped to a lot i mean because they can't control how well the players play sure that's 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 on the court that's on the field 
but what they do have control over. What what are the typical kind of customer service issues? Well, that's a good question. There's all sorts of different issues. One is ticketing. I mean, a lot of the uh, fans, they have some family in town and, and they want them to go to the game with them. So the season ticketer will call up the box office. And so it's a matter of how quickly can we turn around tickets? Will we allow these folks to be able to sit next to their family mm-hmm. members and that sort right. of thing. So there's ticketing related issues on the game day. Parking is often a big issue. Oh, sure. uh, you know, can I get into the stadium quickly? And if not, why is that the case? You know, I don't want to miss tip off or I don't want to miss kickoff. Uh, when you actually get into the arena, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people think if you're, for example, a, a pro uh, basketball team, that, that you are the employer of every person in that arena. Well, the reality is you're not. I mean, mm-hmm. oftentimes you're the uh, employer of the sales reps, the season ticket services reps that are in the arena. Uh, you may be or may not be the employer of the actual game day staff, people who just walk the concourse sure. and meet certain needs. But you're not the employer of security. You're not the employer of the folks who work in the concession stands. You're oftentimes not the employer of the people who sell the merchandise as oh, well. Wow. So, but yeah. That it, causes its own series of issues. Then. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. So, so you as uh, the brand, the Orlando Magic, the Miami Heat, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Memphis Grizzlies, whoever you are, you have the responsibility of the service delivered by all of these people who are not your employees. <laughs> and if there's an issue with security, they say that's an issue with your team. Yeah. If there's an issue with the concessioners, they, they don't blame the concessioners. They blame your team, your organization. Wow. So that's another unique issue pro sports teams have. Yeah. And just you know, I, the frustration of knowing that you know, your customer service experience uh, for your cl- for your clients your customers could be based so much on people completely out of your jurisdiction and control exactly i'm sure this is the same case for a lot of other entertainment venues concerts uh, convention centers, places like that, where you've got to bring in these contract staff to do these things. And, yes. uh, you don't have uh, you don't own the venue. You don't uh, control everybody in the venue. So that's a, that's a huge issue. Right. And that, that's when you realize that customer service and, and delivering a great consistent experience is uh, about more than just, are your folks making eye contact? Are they mm. smiling enough? You know, mm. are, are right. they saying please and thank you? Because when you're talking about a pro sports team, uh, a lot of what creates the great experience is making sure that you have well-defined what that great experience will look like. You've taught your your partners, whether that partner is a security firm or the concessionaires, about what is the level of service we provide? What does it look like? What does it feel like running them through training? You have agreements with these vendors so that mm. they can't just do whatever they want to do in their own way, but they know that they're going to be mystery shopped or they're going to be sur- they're going to be surveys on their experience and they are going to be evaluated against these standards that are part of the agreement the formal agreement between you as a pro sports team uh, and these partners that you have so uh, there's just a lot of opportunities um, that are more strategic in nature and a lot of needs that are more strategic in nature to deliver a great experience than just simply making sure that everybody who, who is an employee of you is smiling and engaging the fan. Well, and that's something I know we've talked about in the first couple episodes as well, is that customer service is not just uh, the pleasantries and the uh, facial expressions. It's it's the process. It's the uh, or operations going on behind the scenes. Exactly. And I think in professional sports, that's something that I guarantee most people don't think about. They don't recognize. They don't understand that there is a lot going on behind the scenes to make those events work. 
not to make the team play better, not right. to make sure somebody has a career high game. It's what's going on to just make the experience something that the, that the customer enjoys. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. And that's actually part of the reason why we were brought in by the NBA in 2003, because the NBA was exceptionally good at sales and marketing, and they understood how to do that operationally. They understood how to, how to try to acquire season ticket holders. But they were starting to realize that, you know, for every 1% that we lose in our season ticket holder base every season, the typical team at the time would lose about $300,000 in ticket sales revenue alone. Hmm. So if you start wow. adding that up and say, wow, you know, if our retention is only 70%, if we've lost 30% oh of our season ticket holders, you're Just talking about millions and millions, millions and millions of dollars. of dollars in ticket revenue alone. So they started to realize that, yes, we do understand processes. We do understand how things work from a sales and marketing perspective. But we also understand that we're bleeding out millions of dollars a year because we don't have those same processes and systems and research and training and methodologies in place to actually keep the customers that we already have. And I mean, you know, I could see somebody saying, well, you know, if you got a LeBron James out there putting up a career high points in a game, you know, does the customer service experience really matter? People are coming to see the game. They're coming to see the players. And, but are there situations where, you know, a team, a, 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 a athlete, performs extremely well the team's having a great season a great record but the customer service really had a negative impact on ticket sales going forward or financial impact or maybe the opposite there's a team that really is rock bottom performance wise but they're doing great on customer service and it's helping them out are there any of those examples yeah yeah there's plenty of examples of those and and you can even look at organizations like uh uh, the Miami Timberwolves, they, they have a very good fan retention, fan relations program, but they, they rarely went on the court. And the idea to keep in mind here is that to, to a lot of fans, it's all about who's playing for my team or what's the performance on the court. Um, but there's a lot of fans who determine whether or not to renew the contract based on other factors. You know, okay. it's the experience. It's, I actually facilitated focus groups of Miami Heat season ticket holders a couple of years back. And Miami Heat had a very unique situation because, and this is prior to LeBron James, this is when they brought Shaq in. Okay. So Shaq comes to the Miami Heat, and all of a sudden ticket sales go through the roof. Right. And my first thought was, you know, it's wonderful, but what you want to start doing immediately is try to make the relationship with the Miami Heat about something other than just Shaq. Yeah. Because right. if Shaq gets injured, then the relationship breaks oh, apart immediately. You know, if Shaq leaves, which he eventually did, yeah. uh, the relationship breaks immediately. So there's a lot of things that an organization can do to make the relationship about something other than what brought them in in the first place. And that applies to any kind of business out there. You know, maybe it was the discounted rate that brought a customer in, or maybe it was some big sale they were having that brought the customer in. But you don't want to have to have some major couponing or a big sale every single day to keep the customers coming in. So you have to figure out, once we actually get a customer for the first time, how do we systematically develop relationships with that customer so that they'll keep coming back for more and other types of things, things that we have more control over. And that's a lot of what we did strategy-wise with the pro sports teams is we said, okay, sales did a great job of bringing this customer in, but how you brought them in and what got them here is not necessarily what's going to keep them for five or seven years. So let's start working on strategies and research to continually develop relationships with these fans so that we can keep them for the long term. Uh, and that really just does apply to any other industry, any other business too. I can think of so many businesses where – they get so associated with this one product or this one item that they produce or develop or sell. But if they don't have that entire experience wrapped around it, their, their successes live and die by that one product. 
Same thing with an athlete and a pro sports team. It's just you can't you can't run a business like that. You can't be so focused on that one thing because the minute it's gone, you're back to square one. You're rebuilding from the from the bottom. Sure. I mean, it could be something as simple as the the laptop I bought a few years ago. I liked the laptop all right. It had an issue with a certain screw that was uh, making I think it was the monitor pull away mm-hmm. from from the keyboard. Uh, and even though I, I liked the product, it came quickly. It functioned fine. Getting a screw to replace one that had fallen out of my computer was a nightmare on the phone. The experience was terrible. It took a couple weeks to get the screw. And I'm thinking you're talking about a thousand, $1,500 laptop, whatever it was, $2,000 laptop. And I'm ticked off at the company over a screw that probably cost them a quarter. So it's amazing when you think about all those things that surround the relationship, surround the opinion uh, in, in a lot of cases, and in most cases, actually, depending on what industry you're talking about, it's not just about the product. There's a lot of other things that form that opinion as well. Um, so let me ask you. So a pro sports team says, you know what, we've got to we've got to get better at customer service. We we have a problem. We're losing ticket uh, season ticket holders year to year. Exactly. Uh, and it's so based on the performance of our team, and we just we can't run a successful organization just solely on how well our team's performing at the time. What, what are some of the key things that you typically find yourself helping a, a pro sports team do to get a handle of that customer service environment or make some, some, uh, some changes to it? Okay, that's a great question. First thing we try to do is try to get them in the mindset that it's not all about the performance on the court or the performance on the field. If that's the case, why, why do you even have sales reps? Why do you even have service reps? I mean, if it's all about the product, then you don't need those folks. So there is a certain percentage of the business that you can control. Maybe you only control 10 or 20% of renewals, but 10 or 20% of renewals can be tens of millions of dollars to some teams. So first of all, the the folks who are in the sales and service area have to realize what they do control. You know, understand what you can't control. Don't worry about that. You're going to get complaints about that. You have to know how to deal with issues about that and, and, and deal with those complaints, but understand what you do have under control. Uh, the next thing that we do is we start to try to get them to understand how do you systematically develop a relationship with a season ticket holder or with a client. And some of that uh, goes into just the idea of if you want to develop a relationship with a person, mm-hmm. you got to get to know them better. Right. Well, in business, if you want to develop a relationship with a client, a season ticket holder, you have to get to know them better. So we talk about research. We talk about, talk about not assuming that you know what all your season ticket holders are like or all first-year season ticket holders are like and how they're different from somebody who's been here 10 years. You literally have to do surveys. Mm-hmm. You have to ask them questions. Why are you a season ticket holder? Why, why would you renew in six months and why would you leave? You know, okay. what are the share partners that you might have that might share tickets with you? You know, tell me more about your demographics. It's you just know, getting to under, sort of it's understanding your clientele because they're not going to come out and tell you most of the time to a, a uh, owner of a team or the management group of a team. They're not going to have that direct pipeline to go right up to the office and knock on the door and say, Hey, I got some feedback for you. There's not really a good way to do that a lot of times. So sure. the surveys at least can give you that broad information and you're going to get information from people who even more of your quiet customers who aren't going to be too vocal one way or another, but at least if they're presented a survey, they have an opportunity to give you feedback right. that they may not have given you before. Right. And, and if you have, uh, we uh, have one example where an NBA client of ours, we conducted a survey of all their season ticket holders. It was an enormous survey. The largest one we've ever done had over 200 data points, but we got such a huge response rate that we really gave, we literally gave this client hundreds and thousands of data points on their individual season ticket holder. So if I'm, I'm a customer service rep, I'm a season ticket holder services rep, and I have to renew Joe 
uh, in the upcoming season. I'm not just calling up Joe and say, you know, uh, your, your renewal, it was due a week ago and you know, it hasn't come through. Are you still considering it? It's not that kind of a conversation anymore. Now it's a more specific conversation. Now it's a more proactive conversation. You know, Joe, I, I understand that, uh, you know, you've gone to uh, most of our games this year. We really appreciate your attending. And uh, I also know that you had completed that survey a couple weeks back. We really appreciate that. I understand that, you know, in particular, you're, you're having a great experience, but you're kind of concerned with the direction of the team. It seems like there's been a lot of personnel changes. You're not hearing a lot from the coach. You know, can we really talk about that? Help me understand what your concerns are, see if there's anything I can do to, to, to help answer those questions for you. Right. So, so it's a very specific conversation about a very specific retention driver so that you as a sales or service rep are much more confident going in, proactively contacting this person, addressing their objection or their need or their issue head on so that you have a much higher probability of overcoming that and renewing on the back end. So the okay. research is vital to developing and retaining mm-hmm. those season ticket holders. That's why the survey work that that is done is vital in, in terms of developing relationships. If you're going to develop a relationship with somebody, you got to know as much as you can about them. And then it gets into how do you just systematically nurture that relationship over time. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. The customer in a professional sports environment is is such an interesting interesting idea and in that you know so many businesses you know somebody goes into the store buys a product you want to perform good customer service because you want them if the need ever arises for them to come back sure okay but it's that phrase if the need ever arises with a season ticket holder the goal is to, to keep them non-stop engaged to where they never drop off you know exactly. it's just it's, it's kind of a different type of mentality towards customer service in that you can't just say, well, as long as we put that good feel out there and make it a good experience, the plan is that whenever they need another widget from us, they'll come back and do that. Mm-hmm. This is really a matter of you want them to be engaged the entire year through. So when that one decision point comes to them, check that box, whether they're going to renew or not, you got to know that they're already going to do it. Exactly. It's, wow. That's just, that's a, it's, it's an interesting model. And I can see that's why having all those data points from a survey, it's not just to give you a good understanding of what the general feel of the group is. It's to know individually what their drivers are because you need to speak to them individually. Right. Uh, it's not something a target can do. Target can't talk to every customer that comes in to buy stuff and find out what their specific needs are. They got to look more generally season ticket holders. That is a valuable piece of data for that one person. So I can see the need for that. Absolutely. Sure. Although I, I would say that retailers and, and even small mom pop shops, I mean, the more they get to know their customers individually, sure. right. you know, the more they proactively set up a touch point plan throughout the year, the better chance that they have of retaining and growing business with that customer. Yeah. Okay. Good point. Yeah. yeah. And, and your point about when they check off that box to renew or not is a very important point because uh, keep in mind that they are going to those 41 basketball games or they're going to those eight regular season NFL games or they're going to those 81 baseball games. But when they make the decision 
about renewing or not renewing, they're sitting at their kitchen table yeah. <laughs> or, or they're at work, yeah. you know, or they're driving down the road talking to their spouse or something like that. So it's one of those situations where you have to realize that, uh, you know, part of it really is the experience they have in the arena, but part of it is what you do to nurture that relationship when the customer's not in front of you. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, you're in the, you're in the arena, you've got, it's the euphoria of the event going mm-hmm. on. I would imagine if you were asking people then to go ahead and sign on for sure. next year, you'd probably have a pretty good chance of getting That's a lot of this Closure. Yeah. But once they leave, the euphoria dies off. They're kind of a little more removed from it. And they're being asked, typically in an off season, do you want to renew for next year? Exactly. So, yeah, you got to make sure that experience is still fresh in their mind and they, they can remember how great an experience it was going to those games, yeah. whether it was win or lose. Right. That they just enjoyed the experience so much that they're willing to immediately say, yeah, I'll, I'll sign this off. No problem. Yeah. That they remember the experience and they remember why they are a season ticket holder and they remember how what you provide to them helps to ensure that they're getting that, that need met, that desire to be a season ticket holder met, you know, whatever that driver is. How much is uh training development and work with individual staff uh the uh whether it's to cut the, the uh, client uh, ticket season ho- uh, t- uh, blah, season yeah. ticket holder representatives yes. or whatever how much uh how much of, of it is training and development of those staff what how critical is that to the whole process i mean it's very important uh especially if you look at if they didn't get training mm-hmm. what it would be like because uh, the people going into that role could either be sales oriented uh, which if you have somebody who's purely sales-oriented going into a season ticket services role, that can be difficult for them because if you're sales-oriented, especially the way pro sports works, a lot of times you're transaction-oriented. You know, I'm going to get comped. Uh, I'm going to get my bonus or, you know, in, earn my income from ringing the bell, closing that sale. Uh, so I'm thinking about a transaction, a point in time. When you are a season ticket services representative, you are thinking about nurturing a relationship over a 12-month period so that when the renewal contract is sitting there in front of the season ticket holder, even if you're not around, you're not on the phone with them at the time, then it's going to be a very easy decision for that season ticket holder to say, yeah. So the first thing to keep in mind is that training is important um, because you're, you're dealing with people who typically are more service-oriented. Uh, they're not the sales-oriented folks, and it's a different mindset. If you bring sales folks in, they need to kind of change their mindset a little bit. If you think about somebody who's purely customer service-oriented, that's good. But if you are a um, season ticket services representative, you're not just being nice to folks. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a strategy involved in retaining a season ticket holder. You have to realize, I have 500 accounts. I'm not going to know 500 people by name. I'm not going to be able to do 500 seat visits every game over 40 games. Uh, I'm not going to be able to, to go and meet with every season ticket holder at their business. So I have to develop an efficient strategy which prioritizes who do I actually visit in the seat and how frequently? Who do I go to the place of business? Who do I call on the phone versus email? And then how do I engage these folks in a systematic, efficient, but personalized manner so that I can actually best retain these folks? So they need training if it's a sales-oriented person on service and relationship and long-term, mm-hmm. those kind of mindsets. If it's a customer service-oriented person, they need more training on literally strategically how do you develop relationships over time right. with a large, large account base. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So training and development still plays a major role, obviously, it, with these it, staff. It, it really does. Yeah, so. it's a huge role because it's not just a matter of uh, – in a retail setting, you have people coming in. You engage them there appropriately and handle it well, just like a season ticket services rep if if that individual is meeting with a season ticket holder at a game. But when, when you're a professional sales rep, you're also managing an account base, mm-hmm. and you need to be a professional account base 
manager. I mean, if you think about um, a season ticket, uh, if you think about a standard way of looking at a season ticket or a customer, a lot of people say, well, that's a $40 ticket. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what it is. If you're a season ticket services account rep, this is the way you need to think. You say, okay, it's a $40 ticket, but the typical account has two and a half seats. So it's really $100 a game. Okay. And that person signs up for 41 games a year. So it's really $4,100. Okay. And if we typically retain 80% of our season ticket holders year to year, the typical lifespan of a season ticket holder is five years. Huh. So that $4,100 a year for that account is really a $20,000 account. Wow. All right? So I look at that and I say, you know, I'm managing 500 accounts. So mm-hmm. the lifetime value of those 500 accounts is $10 million. Wow. So if you think about what a sales rep might think in terms of a transaction or, or what commission he's getting, if you think about what a customer service person might think about a transaction, and then you kind of bring those together and say, all right, I'm a season ticket services account rep. Granted, it's a $40 ticket, mm-hmm. $40 seat, yep. but that account and my entire book of business that I'm managing in these 500 accounts right now is worth $10 million over the next five years mm-hmm. of this organization. All of a sudden you realize this is not just a pure customer service position. It's not a transaction-oriented sales position. This is an extremely financially important position, and they need the training and the skills to do that effectively. Wow. That's that's fascinating. I, I guess I've, I've never – not having ever really dealt directly with professional sports industries mm-hmm. and that, that kind of organization, it's uh, – Figuring out how the ticket sales do translate and really what the values are as opposed to that. It's so easy for us to think it's all what whatever dollar amounts are stamped on that ticket, and that's the value of it. That's the value of the relationship, and it's it's not. It's a lot deeper than that. Right. So. That's why retention and relationships are so important. And I know a lot of people are concerned with the transaction, but if you can't turn that transaction into a relationship, you're leaving a lot of money out there that your competitors are going to go and gobble up. See, I think this is just fascinating to think that here in, in, a, in an industry like professional sports where – you know, you watch the games on TV, you go, you enter the arena, you watch the game. 99% of your attention is focused on that game, those players. But it could be that 1% of your experience around you when your eyes are not on the game that can really dictate how engaged you are with that organization in the future and how much that your relationship as a client is worth to them. So Exactly. Yeah. And just if you think about the alternative for most people who go to the game, it's sitting at home and watching the game. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm still experiencing a lot. I'm still seeing the game. So there's got to be something extra, some relationship or something about the experience that keeps me with the organization, just like for a retail establishment. You know, granted, you're selling products, but that customer could go on the Internet and probably buy very similar products. There's got to be something special that makes the person get out of their house, into their car, drive to your establishment, get out of their car, spend time talking to you, go through that manual transaction, get back <laughs> into their car go home again. There's got to be something special that makes them want to keep coming back time after time after time to your organization. Ed, are you seeing with the economy the way it's been the last several years, and I mean, people's disposable income gets a little more dried up. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing professional sports organizations addressing the need to step up customer service to try to combat some of that? I mean, uh, is that happening right now? Are people realizing that? Yes, it is. Not as fast as I would like, obviously. But um, yeah, it's interesting because uh, I mentioned we went into the NBA 2003. That was just after the economy had had hit that rough patch. And Mm -hmm. the NBA, I'll give it to them, they have done an exceptional job compared to the other sports leagues at investing in, caring about, and being successful at retaining and growing their season ticket holder base. Okay. Um, other industry or other leagues are a little bit slower. We did 
uh, some training for Major League Soccer in Kansas City back in, I think it was June. Uh, and they have a lot of former NBA execs who are working with them just in this particular area. So that's okay. a league that gets it, and they've built the infrastructure, and they're starting to learn how to actually apply it to get some of the benefits that uh, the NBA has as well. Um, Major League Baseball, I'm not as familiar with Major League Baseball. I've talked to a couple teams for years, particularly, again, where you had NBA folks who went into Major League Baseball, and they're starting to get it a little bit. The NFL's been the slowest. Okay, um, interesting. And, and I think, to some extent, it's because it is the big daddy. It's the gravy mm. train. I mean, it, it is so incredibly popular right now that other than – uh, venues like Jacksonville, um, Oakland, who, who have trouble selling out and they get blackouts. I mean, they're, they're still selling out the majority of the NFL stadiums and they don't quite see the need to get away from their strong sales and marketing focus yeah. to actually get into relationship development. Uh, but, plus, they have a lot more season ticket holders that they would have to manage and build the sure, infrastructure around. But I guess you could still argue that even though NFL is, is still strong performing financially and everything else, uh, anything could happen. You know, the minute that starts to slow down a little bit, uh, I would hope the focus is then going to be, oh, wow, we probably should have been maybe paying a little more attention to that customer service relationship element a little bit more yes. uh, a, a while back. Yeah. So, And they're trying to do it, but the way they do it, it seems like we're, we're putting more TVs in the concourses. You know, well, that's, that's how we're... It's more facilities yeah. and, 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 and material things as opposed to relationships. As opposed to relationship yeah. development and effective research and that sort of thing. So now, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, a lot of the big, big leagues, uh, sports organizations, but really the kind of things you're talking about, they go all the way down to minor league baseball teams sure. and every, anywhere where you have a transaction based on you're performing a service by putting on in a game or an event. And you're asking for people to not only buy a ticket, but possibly buy future tickets based on that experience. I mean, it, it covers a much wider scale than just the limited groups we've been talking about so far. Oh, sure. I mean, if, keeping with sports, for example, we, as one of our first clients, did a series of mystery shops for the Charlotte Checkers minor league hockey team about eight, ten years ago, I guess mm -hmm. it was. Um, we did some major membership survey work for a country club in, in South Carolina years ago. Oh, that yeah, was country clubs. To, That's a perfect example. Trying yeah. to retain uh, season ticket holders. We actually had some discussions with the Charlotte Knights major league, minor league baseball team many years ago that didn't turn into being a client, but it was because they realized, and a lot of these organizations realize the same thing. I mean, we have to retain and grow with who we have. I mean, we don't have as a minor league team a, an enormous marketing budget. Right. You know, people are not just enamored with our league like they're enamored with the NFL. It's more about our individual team and our locale and our name and the experience and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. uh, th there's a lot of need for these organizations to focus on it just as well. This is fascinating. I, I love this topic because it's just when you mention customer service to somebody on the street, uh, you know, sports, uh, sporting events is not something that pops in your head, but it sounds sure. like it's a huge need. It's a huge market, and it's uh, something that – you know, as teams become more competitive, leagues become more competitive, and if they do continue to face economic downturns with people's uh, uh, recreational money, you know, it becomes even more important to, to focus on. Yeah, it definitely does. And the interesting thing is in terms of how this applies throughout uh, any type of business. I mean, we're talking about customer service from ha the perspective of having a great experience, don't just relying on your product uh, to actually drive sales, having a great experience. But a lot of what we've talked about today also deals with relationship development. What are you doing to develop relationships with your customers when they're not in your storefront, when they're, they're not interacting with you? What are you doing proactively to go out and either push information of value 
not necessarily market, 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 and sell, sell, sell. I know a lot of people think, well, you know, we have a, an e-newsletter where we send a coupon every week. That's, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. That is just you pushing your product. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily pulling intelligence on your customer through surveys and other research that gives you, supplies you with the kind of information you need to, to more personalized in a more personalized manner and customized manner to meet their needs or develop a relationship with them. It's not you just providing something of value to them without expecting them to buy from you. So a lot of people think, oh, email marketing, e-newsletters, I push, push, push. But a relationship development strategy, which virtually any organization could do, is a little bit different. It's where you're actually saying over the next 12 months, how do I, through a series of uh, pulls where I'm actually trying to pull information, intelligence from my customers so I can better serve my customers or pushing information of value or occasionally, obviously, as well, pushing marketing messages. How do I systematically develop relationships over the next 12 months with my existing clients? And, and that kind of strategy beyond the customer experience itself needs to be in place if you truly want to retain and grow with your existing clients. Right. Oh, good. Good conversation. So thanks for your insight on that. Very oh, helpful. sure. I've enjoyed it. Now, we always like in our show to uh, give an example, customer service example. Do you have one in mind, Ed? Sure. You do? Yeah. Is it a good or bad yeah, one? It's a bad one. Okay. Well, good. I've got a good okay. one then. Perfect. Okay, great. It works out great. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid we were going to have to cut there and do a little strategy in the rest of our <laughs> no, show, but we're good it. to go. Yeah. Um, Ed, I'll, do, you want me, do you want me to do the bad one first or, do you, or the good one first or do you want to do the bad oh, one? Oh, we can do the good one first. All right. Let's do the good one first. Um we always like to talk about a good and bad customer service example. It can be something very, very small. It could be something pretty big. But just to let you know that you know, people are watching these things. People are acknowledging these things, and we always need to remember that. Um, you know, I work here in my, in my business. I have a lot of vendors that come by and try to sell things and, you know, things we have to buy, buy things from. And I was recently handling the promotion of a local event, and I had to work with a vendor on a particular type of advertising medium. And I'd never dealt with them before. Okay, so it was one of those things where I'm calling them out of the blue. Hey, I've been hired to do this, and I need some help, and are you guys the ones to help? And, you know, up to that point, it was a very typical client-vendor relationship. Yes, here you go. Here's the forums. Here's the information. Here's the pricing. Here we go. Everything like that. So, so far, nothing extraordinary. But what really was great was the minute that person now has my phone number and email address, which I gave them, I said, hey, communicate with me this way. They knew the type of event that we were helping promote. All of a sudden, I started getting every couple of days some emails from that individual where they were sending me some helpful advice on right. ways to even further promote, not just using their service, but mm-hmm. other things we could do to promote the event, which I thought, well, that was, that's nice. This is, getting, this is a very good thing for them to be doing. It's showing that they're actually caring about what we're doing to promote the event, and it has nothing to do with impact on them. After the day of the event, I mean, and this person, I'm sure, helps – many, many clients and has many events they do stuff for. This person called me like 10 a.m. the next morning after the event, left me a nice voicemail on my cell phone. It's like, how'd the event go? Just wanted to make sure, you know, see, I was very curious to see what kind of turnout you had and to see how everything went and just, you know, just we'd love the feedback. That's all we're looking for. She's not trying to sell me anything more directly anyway. It's really, how did the event go? And I've been sending you some information. I hope that got through to you. Maybe that was helpful or not. It was one of those things where I felt like, even though I know in the back of my head, yes, she's a salesperson. She is ultimately looking for that future sale. Sure. But at the moment, I didn't feel like I was being sold to. And it's just that knowing that they wanted to funnel more information to me, more ideas to me that I could take or leave. And they knew on their calendar, they knew that event was that Monday night. I'm going to call them Tuesday at 10 a.m. just to find out how it went. You know, that to me really just... 
it's what I try to work on here in our business is that it's, it's about helping clients, even if that help doesn't directly affect our bottom line. It's something where we're building those relationships for the future, much like what we're talking about with the sports teams. It's, yeah. it's all the relationship building at that point. Yeah, so. that's a great example. That's a great example, too, of when I talked about providing something of value. That's what they were doing there. Mm-hmm. And if you do a good job of providing something of value or you know, asking survey questions, then it gets to the point where if the customer is receiving a communication from you, they're not thinking, oh, here we go. They're trying to push something right. again and they exactly. delete it. You know, it's something, well, this might be interesting. Let's see what they have to offer and that's you right. know, what do they want to know about me? Well, that's a good question. Maybe I'll share. So this person understood that if they really wanted to have a long-term relationship, they shouldn't just call you up every other day and say, well, have you decided yet? Have you decided right. yet? It's like, I'm going to try to help them be successful. And if you can help your customer achieve their goals, there's a much better chance they're going to want to stay Absolutely. with you for the long term. And right now, that person's uh, business card and their promotional material that they did give me at that first meeting is still sitting on my desk. And I'm itching to the, to the idea of using them again whenever the opportunity comes up simply because of that experience. It yes. has nothing to do with the quality of their product. Their product's fine. Mm-hmm. Pricing was fine. Nothing extraordinary. It's just the fact that I could tell that, you know, they want to help people. They're here to help and they're developing a relationship and they're going to keep me posted on things that might help my business. It's very impressive. Okay. All right. So we got the nice uh, sunny one out of the way. Let's go ahead and hear the bad one. I'm, yeah. I'm always, is it wrong to kind of look forward to hearing the bad customer service experiences? That's oh. it's kind of a guilty pleasure. Yes. Yeah, so we're know? all allowed our little guilty <laughs> pleasures, all allowed these little vices. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. Right, so no. go ahead and share me with this. Yeah, I want to hear okay. this. I'm looking forward to it. Well, one of the joys of being a consultant in pro sports in the world of customer service is you get to mystery shop pro sports events. So, so this is a, a mystery shop story from a while back, and I'll try to do it uh, considering the type of mystery shop story it is. I'll try to do it on radio. We'll see how this works. But essentially... Now, now just yeah. to interrupt, mystery shopping, just for anybody who's sure, not familiar oh, with sorry. that term, maybe you want to give a little background on that. Sure. Uh, it's when a company will um, contract with an organization such as ours, and we will send in trained mystery shoppers and consultants to pose as a customer. Okay. And we're given certain scenarios. We do this where we've mystery shopped websites, we've mystery shopped events, we've mystery shopped telephone experiences and actually coming on site. And basically what we're trying to do is to evaluate the facility, the the ease of navigation. We're trying to evaluate the processes that an organization used to, uses to serve a customer. And we're also trying to evaluate the employee's attitude, skills, and knowledge. So you're basically okay. painting a picture through the customer's eyes in tremendous, tremendous detail of what the experience is like for the company. And it's basically an acting job for those mystery shoppers. They exactly. They pretend like they are true customers and patrons and experiencing something for the first time. Maybe. Hey, that's exactly okay. what they're doing. Right. Sorry, I didn't okay. interrupt there, but go right ahead. That, that's fine. And, and basically, this experience was mystery shopping a, a pro basketball team. And the mystery shopper was walking through the concourse during halftime, and he was supposed to mystery shop several of the vendors as well, You know, mm-hmm. selling different merchandise, whatever the case might be. So uh, the idea was that he wanted to mystery shop uh, the pretzel stand. You know, let's just select this guy. He's standing there in the concourse. He has one of those push carts sitting there. Uh So the shopper stands in line and he's waiting behind two or three people. Eventually his term comes up and he stands right in front of the vendor. The vendor is uh, behind the stand Mm -hmm. and looking down, doesn't say a word. And so the customer eventually says, could I have a pretzel uh, with salt? And the vendor still looking down nods. He reaches out his right hand. He pulls a pretzel in front of him. He reaches out his left hand, gets one of those wax sheets of paper, puts it under the pretzel. And then he goes with his left hand. He grabs a little salt. He sprinkles on it. 
so nothing's being said. He kind of shakes it out. He puts it up on top of the counter. Okay. And still looking down, he holds up three fingers. Wow. Still dead silence. Customer not knowing what's going on. He pulls out a $5 bill, hands it to the vendor. Uh The vendor pulls out $2, puts the $2 next to the pretzel, Mm -hmm. not saying a word. Still no word. Still looking down. No eye contact. No eye contact. The shopper picks up the pretzel and the $2 and walks away. Wow. And that could have been the best pretzel in the world, but... You know, from the shopper's perspective, that was a horrible, horrible, <laughs> horrible experience because sometimes it's not all about the product. Yeah. You know, sometimes you want somebody to engage you, to convey that they care, kind of like your example, that that, that uh, sales rep conveyed that she cared. Yeah. You know, you want somebody to come in and truly uh, try to make it part of the experience. You know, they're going to engage you. They're going to talk to you. They're at least going to make eye contact so that you as a customer don't feel like you're a little cog in the assembly yeah. line. But they That's... did the entire transaction in silence with no eye contact. Silence, no eye contact. Now, I will say, talented. Okay, he's, he's obviously got his hand mechanics down pat. Exactly. But you're right, from a customer service standpoint, that is, I, nobody likes to have fingers pointed up in front of their face to tell them what to do. Exactly. You know, yep. I mean, nobody wants a, a three held up in front of them, to, and they're supposed to translate that as $3, and that means you're supposed to pay me now, and we are going to finish this transaction based on me holding up my fingers. Right. And, yeah, that's... It's not the way to go with that. Not so. the way to go. So that's wow. my uh, sports horror sports story. Related. <laughs> so you made it sports related, keeping in the theme of the show. Sure. Very nice. So, well, this has been some good information. I really enjoyed the discussion. I think uh, I hope people can listen to these examples about the pro sports environment and the customer service there, and realize how even those lessons and things that they're facing are very similar to the same challenges a lot of businesses face with when it comes to service and how they keep improving service. Yes, especially those in the entertainment field where you are selling a service that you don't always have control over how well that game or that concert or that event happens, but you do have control over the things around it. And that's what you've got to focus on. So very interesting. Ed, again, remind people uh, they can find you through customer service solutions. That website address is cssamerica.com. Correct. correct. Okay. The letter C letter S letter S America, all one word.com to find out about customer service solutions and the kind of work that you're doing with a lot of organizations right now, not just pro sports teams, but that is one aspect. I know you deal with quite a bit as well. Um, And I'm Alan, Jackson with the Jackson Group. Uh, We're doing employee customer satisfaction surveys, and both of us are very deep in the customer service field, so we're happy to be putting this show together. As a reminder, as always, if you have questions, ideas, suggestions, or anything for our show, feel free to send us an email at info at themesh.tv. That's T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. Uh, let us know if you've got some ideas for future topics, questions that you'd like for us to to address in future episodes, or just some general feedback. We'd always love to hear that as well. I encourage you, too, to check out some of the other shows on The Mesh. We have uh, some other great business-related podcasts, including leadership. Uh, we've got some on uh, creative thinking in the workplace, as well as our typical arts and entertainment type shows as well. Uh, so, Ed, thanks for joining me again. Look thanks forward to for talking to you next again. month. And uh, for The Mesh and for Stepping Up Service, this is Alan Jackson. We will see you next episode. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. 
Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.